Hello there. Don't have a good day. Have a great day. Talk to me, Goose. Precious. You steal the Declaration of Independence. Why so serious? Well, I could do this all day. Are you watching closely? Welcome, everybody, to the One-Eyed Film Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Mossberg, and today we have Josh Swanson returning from last week. Morning. Well, <laughs> gotta be morning somewhere, right? It does. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, as the Truman Show said. You should watch that one. That was a good one. It is a good one. Yeah. But not, not today. We are, today we're talking about Top Gun Maverick. Personally, in my opinion, one of the best movies of 2022. So far, we still have a month to go, but I don't know what really honestly could top Top Gun Maverick. Not only was it just like an enjoyable film to watch, it wasn't bombarded with a ton of just CGI stuff. Actually, didn't most of the stuff like be performed with actual planes, actual everything? And it was just stunts? Yeah, everything was filmed for real. There was very little CGI used. So as opposed to most movies these days, all of this... I should say, a majority of this movie was filmed practically in either real F-18s or in special jets where there was a pilot in front of the actors and the actors could act, but they would experience all the twists and turns of the jets. They didn't really use many uh, body doubles though, right? I didn't hear anything about that. They didn't, know because when they had exterior shots for the movie, you know, with when they're not inside the cockpit, the pilots weren't that well seen the pilots were just wearing their helmets so if it had to be an exterior shot obviously they couldn't use the double or triple seater where there's an actual pilot in the front and a fake cockpit in the back for the actors when it was the exterior shots where it had to be the quote-unquote real f-18s they used real f-18s with real pilots but just having the helmet that says maverick on the front or something where you couldn't see their face didn't really matter um, besides, I don't think you can even see their helmets through the glass when they're exterior shots. And when there was a, a shot that they needed that was just impractical to do with real jets, they would use CGI. Like, all of the explosions and fight sequences and all that couldn't have been done with real jets and real rockets, obviously. So they used practical jets to the best of their ability until um, it became impractical and they had to use it. CGI for the story, which is how I believe CG should be used in any movie. Would you agree? I completely agreed. I mean, we have movies like the Lord of the Rings, the original trilogy that used CGI incredibly sparingly. In fact, basically all of it was practical. And this is a movie that definitely pays homage to that kind of idea. Really well made. Yeah. Just beautiful. It's really beautiful. I think that's the reason why it became so well received this year is because it just was refreshing to have something that was real and authentic. There's so much CG garbage these days. And (laughs) that's coming from a guy who has a major in animation. Like I appreciate that animation has developed so much that we can do full CG characters. Some of them really well, some of them not really well, but it's just so refreshing to have practically done scenes not even from the sense of the lord of the rings where they use miniatures and force perspective and all that they use cg for things that they could not do physically rather than what movie studios do nowadays and use real things when they can't do it in cg it's the opposite now and they're the the cgi pipeline is such a crutch for movies now to just lean on oh we can just rent a warehouse and use a green screen on everything and we don't have to film on location or anything because yeah it is cheaper the sound stage that was really developed for the mandalorian is a great feat of technology that does make it really cheap to film movies but you lose the realness of it and that's something that andor does really well sidetracking here a little bit andor films everything on location and it makes it feel so real and we'll talk about Andor in a future episode, so stay tuned for that. But filming things practically is the essence of what makes a good film, in my opinion. Because when something is imitating reality, 
versus then showing reality, it connects with us on a different level. And CGI, mm-hmm. even if it's showing a real place, let's, let's say our characters are in Venice, but they don't want to yeah. travel to Venice. They just want to film on a green screen and put Venice in digitally. Yeah. That's imitating reality, but we can kind of tell, unless it's done really well, that it's not real and it disconnects us from the movie. And the amount of skill to make some of this stuff uh, turn out really well is just, it's not something many studios are able to do, or maybe it's not so much the skill level, it's just the amount of time that it takes to make it look well, look really well done. Whereas just filming stuff practically like this Top Gun movie that they did, everything in just real jets. The mm-hmm. CGI was put in just to make sure that people didn't actually have to blow up their planes <laughs> during filming. And that's just, it makes for a movie that doesn't fall off. Mm-hmm. It won't ever lose its magic because we don't get new CGI computer technology to where we can just make stuff look better and then it doesn't look as good because the new stuff looks better, you know? And you know what? The analogy for uh, should computers be taking over for man is not an argument that they make in this movie. At the very beginning, Admiral Kane is talking about how he wants to support a drone program that doesn't need humans to be the the crutch the thing the weakest link of the military because that's basically what's holding the military back is the humans who are needing food and sleep and all of that where machines don't need that something that i have realized that i really have taken to heart both just kind of a personal life lesson but also in the greater scheme of things you pay for what you get and when you spend the money to go and film on location or to talk to the U.S. military and use F-18s for an insane amount of money, it's worth it. Like, you can see the value in paying for it, even though there's no guarantee for it to come back and break even. It's worth it because, as Maverick has shown us, it's worth it for the audience to come and see these movies a bunch of times. And I think it's still in theaters, man. I think it's been six months since it released. Yeah, I believe right now there is one theater that's still showing every once in a while near me. It's crazy. It's so popular. Kind of sidetracking on to just how beautiful the movie is. It's just a cinematic masterpiece in the respect that just every shot looks good. I'm I'm watching it right now just because I might as well have it play on in the background while my TV is on. And it's that very beginning scene where he's trying to go Mach 9 but ends up having to go Mach 10, right? So pretty. It's a good scene. Let's talk about that. First thing we see is this crazy, basically disconnected scene that doesn't need to be in the movie but is in there. And it's so well made. I saw a video by NerdWriter that I'll link below about how this opening scene relates perfectly to the formula of how a pop song is written. Now, I didn't see what he was meaning when it came to pop songs specifically, but just song in general. I don't want to steal his thunder, so go watch that video. I'll link it down below so you can take a look at it. It's really interesting how he talks about it. One thing that he talks about is the clear instructions for what, why, and how they're going to fix this problem. Right away, some of the first lines in the movie are by Hondo. Once uh, Maverick starts talking, like what, what, what's happening? Hondo explains what the problem is, why the problem exists, and how they're going to fix it. In three simple lines, he states that, and it's so crystal clear what the expectations are. It's what makes this movie so easy to follow and like is because both that scene and then when Maverick is telling the students like the boundaries of the mission, it's just so laid out perfectly so that you can follow easily. And it's not clunky so that it's almost like a narration. It's just laid out for you so you can easily follow it Mm -hmm. yeah hang on sorry he's turning and it's just it just looks so good (laughs) you're watching him turn dude the shot of the dark star i found out it's called the dark star making that left turn combined with the slow dramatic music one of the most beautiful shots in the movie watching that I, i watched it a few days ago and dude that's screensaver worthy man i know and well before i give my thoughts on it why do you think it's like that uh, personally, I th- I just 
love space dude space <laughs> is just so cool so i'm naturally gonna tend towards just any shot that has the sky in it sick already 10 out of 10 in my book but the thrill of him like the camera going to how beautiful it is it is outside then the shaky cockpit and then trying to watch that 9.9 .9 turn into a 10 which is happening right now oh my word it's it's a thrill and that's also why the movie movie is just so beautiful in this scene specifically because the movie does an amazing job of building up tension and suspense so good at it i've ne i haven't seen the movie do, do this kind of thing in a better way and then you see him just say a little push and he goes for 10.1 <laughs> and with the music playing with the visuals of just having the outside being so calm peaceful and beautiful but then the inside being so shaky and he's sweating and i'm gripping my tea just a little bit tighter <laughs> the way it makes cuts is brilliant and there's mm -hmm. no better way to do it mm -hmm. i don't think it could have been done better what i think is the reason that shot of him turning the dark star is so beautiful is it's contrasting nature versus man-made creations it isn't even the sky that's in the background it's the earth it's a insanely wide shot probably cg honestly but it's an insanely wide shot of the earth and then just cutting across the middle is this fictional granted man-made jet that could possibly like this could totally be real this is mm -hmm. the this is the imitating reality part of the movie where it could totally happen and that's what's so beautiful about it and it's beautiful to see how far science and technology has come to the point of something that this supersonic jet could exist and i don't have all the research to back it up it might exist i didn't look it up to be honest it's got to be possible i mean we've put a man on the moon yeah we should be able to have a guy go flying like that now what i no. do think is probably not quite accurate is him having the plane explode at Mach 10.2 and walking into a diner. <laughs> I just don't think that's feasible. Okay, so Screen Rant ran some numbers for us. Not us specifically, but Screen Rant has run the numbers. Their article says that no person should physically be able to go Mach 10. I believe it is impossible for the human to survive a Mach 10 speed. Oh, is it? It is approximately 6,700 miles per hour. At a consistent speed, you could get from California to New York in 25 minutes. Oh my word. <laughs> it's speedy, speedy fast. It is fast. And I think it's possible. It hasn't been done yet. And there have been aircraft that have gone Mach 10, I believe as early as 2004, but they were unmanned. And those are space stations that were coming back into orbit or something. But I was amazed when I got to see, I had a neighbor who was a fighter jet pilot and we got to go see him, I believe, take off and land his last flight in a jet. And he just gave us some numbers and he said that he could get from the cities to Duluth in a half hour. That's crazy. Like just that alone is crazy. And this Mach 10 scene with a fictional supersonic jet kind of pays homage to all of that that's happened in the past and what we can look forward to in the future of technology. That's so nuts that he could get to the cities to Duluth in half an hour. Yeah. Dude, that's my commute to work. <laughs> <laughs> my man's getting that distance tenfold. <laughs> Fun fact of the day, when the jet flies over Admiral Kane at that guard shack. Does the roof actually come up? It does, but it wasn't supposed to. Oh, what? They did have an actual jet, not a Dark Star supersonic jet that couldn't go in Mach 10, but they had a, a jet that flew overhead, and they might have only had one take, or maybe this was the best take, but they made that little guard shack just as a set piece. It's not an actual building. When you see the jet fly overhead, you can actually see Ed Harris take a small step back, because I'm sure he was told to stand, you know, ramrod straight and not move, but when he, the gust of wind hit him, he had to shift a second. Yeah, But on top of that, obviously, the roof comes off, and I don't think that was yeah. supposed to happen because I don't think they expected the, the gust of wind that the jet produced to blow the roof apart. So I think that's pretty yeah. funny. I'd get knocked on my feet. And it is a scene that kind of sets the tone for the movie. It has some comic relief, 
it has some very intense standards that they have for this mission, but also just Maverick being so hard-headed that he's going to do this. And it also shows the people who may not have seen the first Top Gun who Maverick is. I think that's the, a perfect element for any sequel to have a basically a last time on while not directly saying that or expecting the audience to have seen that movie beforehand. Yeah, I, I do very much agree that this is like one of the best scenes that you actually the best scene you could have to a movie that came out so long ago you can get instantly the type of personality that our main character has and we can even get like just a sneak peek to just how the rest of the movie is going to go we get comedic relief we get intense just tea gripping type movie we get beautiful music too awesome scenes and just a seemingly impossible mission that we just accomplish and then some mm -hmm. and on top of it all it shows it shows us how maverick is the hero and yet even as a selfless guy who is willing to put his career on the line for others he's also hard-headed and will push the limits of what he's supposed to and that's good yeah. character development from the last movie it's exactly the same pete mitchell that we had from the first top gun how long has it been since you watched the first top gun years years yeah i remember watching it i watched it i think this spring right before the new one came out and it did give me a you know it gave me good backstory i mean that's something yeah. i want to talk about in a little bit with um the flashbacks during great balls of fire but let's not get there right there after maverick is sent back to top gun he goes to the bar and meets penny what are your thoughts on penny so assertive but in a lowercase way how do i put it it's her gaze just gets me how do i put how do i say that it's just so weird penny is in the first movie because they mention her like goose says something to maverick about being with a penny one of the general's daughters so that was a good way to revamp something from the old movie yeah in a way that they didn't have to bring kelly mcgintas back nothing against kelly mcgintas i just don't think it was worth showing the difference between how tom cruise has not aged and sh most other people from that movie have yeah that's not fair because tom cruise just doesn't age i think he has a deal with Even the, on the fountain of youth you, you know i would agree guys we need your opinion does he have a deal with the devil or did he find the fountain of youth it's got to be one of those it definitely isn't self-care and workouts every day and a strict diet it definitely wasn't those it's got to be one of those two gotta be no <laughs> way i need his workout routine the one reason i bring up penny is because i know a number of people who don't like the character like passionately really? passionately don't like the character passionately i don't care enough honestly <laughs> i go into the movie and i'm just looking for a really really good cinematic experience where i'm looking at nail biting type scenes i don't really care for the side plots with the bully of hangman which we'll probably get to later. I don't really care for the side plot of Tom Cruise and his love life with a single mom. It's not why I go to the movie, you know? Mm -hmm. So I saw a video from a guy named Robot Head. And by the way, guys, anytime I say I saw a video, I'm going to link it. I don't want you guys to be in the dark about what I saw or have you guys go try and find it. I'll link it below so you guys can watch it right away. But after we're done with the podcast, don't leave. But this video was talking about how so many people get uptight about defending a movie, saying there's nothing wrong with it, or telling anyone who does see some flaws, like movie critics, either professional or amateurs like us, mm -hmm. and they tell those people that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. So the people who are hard defenders of a movie will just say that everyone else is wrong without hearing any other opinions about it. That's not how that works. Movies yep. are a very subjective form of content, that people can have different feelings about. And in, in life in general, there's a lot of things that we get uptight about that are just opinion-based, and we don't need to make a big deal about. But when it comes to movies, a lot of people have their own opinions. We don't need to be all uptight in defending the, like, for example, the original trilogy Star Wars. Oh, it's flawless. There's every, Everything is great. About, no, there's some things like, like what Robot Head says. He's like, I kind of want to punch an Ewok. They're kind of annoying. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to yeah. enjoy the movie. I'm, I'm there to see the lightsaber fights and the spaceship battles, even though the, yeah. uh, no, the Ewoks annoy me. So 
in this case, in Top Gun Maverick, yes, Penny is kind of annoying and she's not really well written and her character is not really necessary for the story. I will explain why I think she is, but it's not enough to ruin a movie. Yeah. And that's kind of what I got at at episode zero. Don't let a little thing that you disagree with in the movie ruin the entire thing. Take mm-hmm. each thing at face value and develop your own thoughts on it and don't tell others they're wrong for thinking that. It's an experience and everybody experiences it differently. We become too attached to just what we like to the point where we like it so much we don't find flaws in it and that's just not right Mm -hmm. and that's even think about that in the case of your faith if you accept your faith at face value without questioning anything about it that's a problem not because you don't want to question it but because you need to question it so that you know why you believe what you believe if you're Mm -hmm. just taking everything that your parents taught you at face value and not wondering why you've missed the point Because the reason parents teach us anything, whether it's faith-based or just about life, is because maybe they explain the why, but sometimes it's just because they know better and you trust them and then you figure out why later in life. I've found that out a lot in my life where where I have done something that I look back on and I'm like, oh, yeah, my mom said something about that. Maybe I shouldn't have, (laughs) maybe I should learn from this. So I said that I was going to give a reason why I think Penny is necessary in the movie and it's this. She is the sympathizer character to Maverick. There is no one else in this movie, besides maybe Iceman, that Maverick can let his thoughts out to. Everyone, yeah. everyone needs that person to just let it out, externally process what they're thinking, and in the case of a movie, to share some information that's necessary to the plot. Yes, I understand the romance part is a little whack after... She said, let's not start this again, and then immediately starting this again. The way she is written can be frustrating, but it is absolutely necessary so that we can hear Maverick's thoughts on Rooster and just on coming back to Top Gun in general. It's a way that we can get inside Maverick's head without an awkward voiceover or something. Yeah, and without without Penny, we won't understand why maverick pulled rooster's papers Mm -hmm. for example Mm -hmm. that whole scenario well where they were being sinful while the kid was gone (laughs) that that one scene that definitely had all of the kids turning their heads towards the parents in embarrassment because something is happening on the screen but during that scene we learn about why maverick pulled rooster's papers and that's vital story information and it helps us understand where Maverick is coming from and it helps enforce some of the feelings that we may see in Rooster and then just have us as the audience just think "Ooh, if only he knew but I know he shouldn't know it puts tension in not just the action sequences but also just the characters involvement with each other we have tension there as well Mm -hmm. and that's good storytelling as well Mm -hmm. and i i use this movie specifically as an example when i was talking about sex scenes back in episode zero which you totally should have listened to by now please listen to that if you have not this is a good time to go back and listen so that you can understand the theology of a movie what i believe you should watch and not watch and also just how to approach movies as a christian but i use this scene as an example because it's not the worst thing they could have put in a pg-13 movie it's very mild compared to what they could have done and in a sense they were i want i don't want to say they were paying homage because things have changed in 36 years but the one scene in the original top gun was not that bad either i'm not rating sex scenes by how much we see or anything i'm just saying this could fly under the radar for some people it's nothing direct Mm-hmm. It's just suggestive, kind of like what I was talking about. Yes, it's awkward to kind of watch him lay on top of her, but you get what happened. And they didn't show that, yes. and I'll give them props for that, for not showing it and just suggesting that it happened. It's honestly a huge breath of fresh air from a lot of the other PG-13 movies that have been coming out lately. Our rating system is slowly just getting watered down to where PG-13 movies nowadays would be rated R from when I was a kid. Take Transformers, for example. They get away with so much, yet they're still PG-13. And this movie would honestly be PG if it weren't for a few swear words compared to what's being accepted nowadays. So it's just nice. Mm -hmm. It's a good movie. 
and you don't feel distracted as a Christian to feel like you have to put up so many walls to try and watch it without having it affect you. And again, I want to reiterate that this is our opinion. This is not based off of any facts that we think you should be watching certain scenes or not watching certain scenes. This is our opinion and how we have watched this scene because we've watched we've watched this movie a lot. And this is our thought process as we've thought about that one scene, you know. So after the bar scene where we're introduced to Penny and all of the supporting characters as well, we get one of the saddest scenes in this movie, in my opinion. And that is, interestingly enough, Great Balls of Fire. There are a lot of delayed sequels that are coming out because Hollywood thinks that we need to relive the good old days of the 80s and 90s. And granted, this movie kind of falls under that umbrella, but in a totally different way than Jurassic World or the new Star Wars. Yes, yes. There are a lot of callbacks in these delayed sequels that don't hit. For example, a happy moment that doesn't make any canonical sense, like Chewie getting a medal in The Rise of Skywalker, doesn't make any sense. It's just fan service. Or a gag that's a direct callback that doesn't land, like in Jurassic World Dominion, where Owen and Alan at the same time say, don't move. It's a gag. It didn't hit for me. I knew that what they were trying to do, it was stupid. Agreed. In this scene, The Great Balls of Fire, it gives us the opposite feeling than it's supposed to. The original Great Balls of Fire scene was very happy because Goose was with his wife and son. Maverick was with his girlfriend, and they were all having a good time. And the song is so fun to sing and dance to with your friends, especially... Uh, this summer where I was with my friends. It was Top Gun summer here where we worked. And, you know, it's a fun song. And yet this is one of the saddest scenes in the whole movie. Why is that? Because it's not the same without Goose. It's not the same without Goose. The way the editing goes, we start with the happy-go-lucky song and flashback to when Goose was playing it on the piano. That's already sad because Maverick is remembering that fun time and that memory that's connected with that song. So you have a sad memory over a happy song we continue into goose's death where he ejects and hits the cockpit window and dies very sad and i would argue that this iteration of his death hits harder than the original i would agree yeah definitely but it would probably hit harder also because it's been a few years since i've seen the older movie and i didn't have emotions back then (laughs) but uh still just trying to think back to it like sure you had a whole movie building the relationship between goose and maverick but at this point it's like trying to get past the whole movie and move on that makes this moment hit so much harder because we don't see as much resolve towards the end of the movie for maverick so we're trying to get that now we're only hit with the sad feels then and we've still got the sad feels going into this movie And this scene definitely makes it just hit because you remember, hey, I'm sad. (laughs) Yeah. The second point that I wanted to get at is we have the we have the happy song over the sad scene and then we switch. Listen closely. If you rewatch the movie, we switch to watching Rooster and his friends having a great time. You can tell that they're singing Great Balls of Fire, but you can't hear it. What you hear instead is sad violin music because Maverick wants to put himself in a fatherly position for Rooster. And I would argue Mm -hmm. that that is the main point of this movie. As much as it's about fast jets and big explosions and the racing against the clock, it's about fatherhood. And that's why I wanted to talk about this movie is because Maverick wants to be the father that Rooster never had. And that's where we kind of realize the point of the movie here at this pivotal moment in the movie where Maverick sees Rooster who is just like his father and Maverick wants to keep him safe and we see that a lot throughout the whole thing and this is really just setting the start for Maverick just trying to be a dad father figures are difficult man Mm -hmm. now we get to the flying we're only we're only like 30 minutes into the movie, man. <laughs> there's just so much to unpack here. Uh-huh. The the main point 
of going to see Top Gun is finally here. The dogfights, training in the F-18s, mm-hmm. so good. So, so good. The technological advancements, which also points back to what we were kind of talking about with the Dark Star, the human innovation that it takes to get to this point is incredible. They fit six IMAX cameras in the cockpit of these jets. How? They were new in a, new compact IMAX cameras, but it's so interesting because the training that these actors had to go through to actually withstand the Gs of the jets, as well as learn how to turn on the cameras and hit record, the actual pilots who were in front of, or I guess behind the camera, actually flying the jet had to know a little bit of cinematography because they had to know not to fly into the sun so they're frontlit and not to fly away from the sun so they're backlit and blown out with the exposure. They had to learn to fly north and south so that they were lit on one side and also to keep it consistent for the movie. I didn't really notice anything jarring that you'd be like, oh, they, they switched directions for some reason because, they're sw- one, they're switching directions all the time, but also it they did it really well to keep consistency throughout the whole movie. But... Because they didn't have a director who could yell, action, and then the cameraman goes rolling and all that stuff. They had to be kind of their own production team on set where they would make sure their mics were working and cameras going. And just the fact that there's six IMAX cameras in the jet yeah. for all angles. Like, you have, I think there was a, a it was a two by three grid where there was two in the middle, two on the left, two on the right, just to get different profile shots. Because if you just had one in the front, it would be pretty boring. But the difference between having it in a real jet and what they did with the old Top Gun, which is what they did was they had a prop jet cockpit in a studio and they had rear projection, which is where they basically set up a projector with clouds or trees whizzing by. So it looked like they were going fast. And that that made it feel fake. The original Top Gun kind of fell short because they were very limited with their technology. There is one shot that I remember. It's it's a missile launching from a F-14. They used it twice. Like, they used the same shot twice because I'm sure they only could fire one missile, but the script said they needed to fire two. So they used the exact same shot. And that's what they could do back then because they were limited with what they could use. I don't even know if they flew an actual F-14 back then because they probably didn't have enough money or something. But with this one, they're able to get so many different angles, so many different shots, and it's just so refreshing like we were talking about earlier. Once we get into this training and stuff, what started over in the bar scene with Maverick trying to be a father figure for Rooster, we see a little bit of the protective side of him coming out in this whole training sequence because we see Maverick being hard, especially on Rooster, because if he ends up being one of the people that's going to be going on this practically impossible mission, he's got to be prepared. Or we're just seeing him be extremely hard on him because he's just he just doesn't want him to go he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to blame himself for another death of someone on this flight squad do you think it's out of protection where he wants him to survive the mission or do you think he just doesn't want him to be the one going on the mission if it was about protection he would be treating all of the students the same way he does not want rooster to go on this mission because he does not want to go back to mrs bradshaw's house and tell her that she lost another one of her men Yes. That's why when they're actually running the course later in the movie, he is asking these students to their face, will that excuse satisfy his family? Or what will you say at his funeral? Things like that. Because he is so intent on bringing these guys home. He knows the feeling of going to Carol Bradshaw's house and telling her the bad news and grieving with her. He does not want to go through that again. There's a scene that I like to call Rooster Plays Chicken. Because <laughs> Rooster and Maverick get into a stare-off. And it is it is the game of chicken. Like, who's going who's gonna to move first? Who's yeah. going to budge? And I realized with this scene how much these actors have to act with their eyes. Because they have their helmets. They can't move much. Their hands are on their uh, steering grip thing. Yeah. And their, their mouths are covered by their mask. And I just thought, one, that's kind of funny because we had the taste of that for ourselves a couple years ago. But also, you can see the rage that rooster has before they start barrel rolling like that's something that stuck with me is when maverick pulls the upside down maneuver iconic by the way because they did that in the first yeah and they're staring at each other rooster's rage just was really cool to see and it kind of it was that outlet that he needed that because he was building up 
this anger against Maverick for pulling his papers, as we'll find out later, but just how tough he was being on on Rooster. And that yeah. all let out right here. I don't know if this is like a, a thing that they do, being in a tornado, spiraling down towards the earth, actually playing check. I don't know where that came from. Me neither. It, it, it's not like they talk, all right, let's go. <laughs> I, yeah. Don't, yeah. I don't know if that's a thing. They play chicken, uh, and then once they pull up, then Mav ends up pulling the Cobra Maneuver. He pulls two of his iconic moves on Rooster, which is really funny. But he pulls a Cobra Maneuver and puts Rooster in his place. As much as Rooster has almost the same level of pride as Hangman does, the way that Maverick treats Rooster is way different than how he treats Hangman. Hangman gets away with way too much in this movie, I feel like. They do a good job of making you not like that character. Yeah, but it's the same way that you don't like Iceman in the first one because Iceman ends up being a pretty pretty loving guy and especially shown in this movie. But by the end, he's very consoling to Maverick about the loss of Goose. And even so you don't like him throughout the movie because he's a really stuck-up, pride-filled, arrogant guy. And yeah. yet he can get the job done. So you really have no choice but to rely on him. You see basically the same character Iceman was in the last movie. You see that in Hangman in this movie. Mm-hmm. And again, you see him be almost half-decent guy towards the end of the movie. Still super cocky, but you know they have one dab up and then they're good kind of thing there's no tension between the characters because of the urgency of this mission and all the drama going on between rooster maverick and goose mm-hmm. when the we're dive doing scene happening right now so the what's it dude we're like the dive scene so oh, we're the... literally like right on <laughs> but we're wa- i'm we're talking about the scenes as they're happening and yeah that's, it's that's... a good idea to like have it play on in the background because it, it's working out perfect man when Maverick is briefing the mission, I just got to say, again, the simple explanation for a non-military audience is so nice. Like, they mm-hmm. use terms that could easily be understood for someone who doesn't have any understanding of military knowledge. So, like, when he said surface-to-air missiles and then starts calling them SAMs, you understand what a SAM is. Surface-to-air missiles, they're on the ground, they shoot at the air. Like, just simple things like that that are a lot yeah. easier to understand for the layman, like how he's explaining how they're going to have a digital run like a like a video game but in their jet so that you understand why why are they flying in a desert it's because they're training it's super easy to understand just got to give them props for that well written to the point where someone who is not even close to being in the army right now or the navy or any branch of the forces to where you just don't have any of this know-how speak my pea brain can get it Mm -hmm. (laughs) after rooster's test run where he's running the mission and he does it a minute too slow. He thinks that he's done something because he's actually got to the point. But Maverick is not having it. He is upset that even though he finished it, he didn't do it well. And mm-hmm. then Rooster brings up, oh, it'd just be a dogfight when the fifth generation fighters come. And Maverick says, ah, uh, no, that's not going to happen. That's not possible. And Rooster says, it's not the plane, sir. It's the pilot. And Mav goes, exactly. You can tell in that moment what Maverick's opinion of Rooster is. You understand as much as he sees Rooster as a son, you can also see his disappointment in how Rooster is responding right now. And Maverick is just disappointed with the pride that Rooster is showing and the stubbornness that he sees in himself or saw in himself. He sees too much of himself in Rooster and he wants to keep him from making a stupid mistake that would cost possibly the life of his friend. In that scene when Maverick says exactly, as soon as he says that, you can definitely tell that Rooster's blood pressure is just skyrocketing (laughs) because I can feel it in my seat. The The, way they deliver that line is just really well. The music cuts out. I want to do an episode on this sometime. The lack of sound sometimes speaks more volume to the addition of sound. Bars. Bars. (laughs) Straight bars. It's so good. In this movie specifically, you have this scene where Mav says, exactly, music cuts out. And with the characters' expressions, you can understand what's going through their heads. And we'll get to two other scenes with lack of music later. But the lack of sound in a movie is so much better when executed properly than a glorious score you can have Hans Zimmer write your music for your movie but if you can execute one moment 
where everything goes silent, fabulous. And we'll do an episode about that in the future. I have multiple examples I want to talk about. But in this situation, you just understand Maverick's thoughts when it comes to Rooster being a part of this team and his arrogance, which is interesting. Like I said before, he doesn't direct this frustration at Hangman, who is also very arrogant. He does a little bit because Hangman left his wingman behind, but it's more so directed at Rooster because he sees him as a son, even if Rooster won't reciprocate that. It's personal. It, it, it is definitely personal. Very personal. And then we return to Iceman. We go yes. and we get to see Val Kimmer back in his role as Iceman. And even though he had been diagnosed with throat cancer many years ago, his performance is still amazing. I believe they used some technology to redo his voice, but I also, I don't know how well he can speak now, but I have a feeling that he might have mouthed the words and they recreated his voice. I should have done some research on that. But the way they use his lack of voice, kind of in the same vein as lack of music, to deliver a more punctual point is so good. When Iceman types out, it's time to let go, and Mav bites his lip and goes, I don't know how. That wrecked me the first time I saw it. Mm. Something about finally seeing your hero share his problems and break down is amazing. So many men in Hollywood movies are now either the butt of the joke, the doofuses, or they're the manly men who doesn't show emotion. Maverick is neither in this scene. He is a real man who has responsibilities. He's, you know, he's in shape and all that stuff. But then he gets with his best friend who knows him better than anyone. And he just breaks down. He says, I don't know how to let go. His entire life since losing Goose has been focused on what he could have done or what he didn't do or what he might have done or what he did do. He's made all these excuses and he tries to make these excuses to Ice, not necessarily about Goose, but about Rooster and why either Rooster shouldn't be here or Rooster shouldn't go on the mission. And Ice purposefully does not erase his message because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Any excuse Maverick gives isn't going to mean anything because he is not letting go of Goose. He is holding on too tight to the past and not moving on, keeping him away from moving up the ladder in rank in the army and maintaining a good reputation. He kind of has his bad reputation because, in my opinion, he's not letting himself move up for the sake of Goose. This breaks down the norm of insanely manly men who don't have any problems or have very few flaws and don't show them and shows us something that I am a huge advocate for. Real men cry. Oh, bars. <laughs> Dude, this is a whole problem. This is a whole social study you could have. Men are not socially supposed to show their emotions. It's it, Crying is a sign of weakness, apparently. It's what society has made it. And yet, our Savior cried multiple times. There are multiple mm. passages of Jesus crying because the stigma of it's not manly to cry is stupid. Like, yes, we're not supposed to be, yeah. we're not supposed to be crybabies and whining at every little thing that inconveniences us. But at the same time, we shouldn't be burying our emotions under all of our muscles and then letting it out one day. There are two incredible songs that I really love. First is from the 90s. It's a good old song by Eli called God Weeps Too, just talking about how God's heart breaks for those dealing with the effects of sin and death. And also the song Tears by Matt Hammond. Both of them, yeah. incredible songs, just saying it's okay to cry. Jesus cried. You can cry. Jesus is crying with you. It's so good. On top of mm -hmm. all that, on top of him showing emotion, something <laughs> something weird that I like to watch in an emotional scene is an actor's jaw because a good actor will clench their jaw to try and kind of hold it in or to let some stress out, you know, you clench your jaw. And you can see that in their cheeks. You can see the, the bulge when your jaw clenches. And I, I see that. And I'm like, that's a sign of a good actor. I thought I would be weird by saying something like that. I do the <laughs> same thing. It's not. It's it's something that shows that they know what they're doing and they're not just putting on yeah. a show in front. They they are the character. You know what I mean? They've cried before, so they know what it's like. <laughs> True. We have the beach scene with I Ain't Worried by One Republic. Great song. Great scene. <laughs> I bet all of the ladies who are listening to this podcast are like, when are they going to talk about the beach scene? 
What about the guys? Ooh, Miles Teller. What about the guys? <laughs> no. Oh, oh! Don't even get me started on the guys. <laughs> I purposefully left them out, hoping that they would reconsider their thoughts. It's a. It is funny to have another beach scene. It is a callback to the original, where they're playing yeah. volleyball. But in this in this one, they're playing offense and defense football, which is I would want to try that sometime. Last time I watched it, I actually noticed that they were using two footballs, and that blew my mind for some reason i definitely want to try that too after the beach scene is the scene dun 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 nothing much more to say about that we already talked about it it's pretty mild for what they could have done and i'm glad that they kept it like that and this is where we find out that maverick pulled rooster's papers and it kind of makes a little bit more sense and i don't think we could have had it revealed any other way other than an intimate scene with penny i think the lead into it was one of the worst (laughs) <laughs> lead into sex scene ever leaving the door open like that I'm, I audibly cringed in my chair in the theater I remember it I mean don't get me wrong I don't know what it's like man I don't, I don't know but I hope it's not like that because I will leave I will make you pay extra for your heat or your AC or whatever Ugh, didn't like it I have a feeling how it should have ended should it do this just have her get off the bike she's walking to the house he drives away and she leaves the door open and doesn't realize that he's not there (laughs) anymore yeah (laughs) he's like i'm a man of god see ya (laughs) i am a man with standards goodbye (laughs) to be fair i think it was a good payoff because earlier they had the scene where she just walked in and closed the door in in the scope of movie making that's a good callback to something that happened earlier in the movie that they set up for payoff even though it was cringe yeah it as much as I hate to say it, leaving the door open was a good way to transition into the scene so that we can learn about what's going on in Maverick's head. And I think having him jump out the window and being seen by the daughter is pretty funny, but also she says, don't break her heart again. Like, she knows what's going on. Yeah. But even that line is kind of hard to hear from a 13-year-old girl. He, he kind of got a smack in the face with some truth. Yeah. Girl better preach it. Bars. Yeah. No. So now we're actually on to them training, running the course, learning how they're going to fly their jets through the course. I think this is one of those scenes where it's the second fight. Not that there's an actual fight, but there's drama. Yeah. There's action. In most movies, you're going to have the initial fight scene where you kind of the villain and the hero meet. You have the second fight scene where they reconnect. The hero probably loses but learns something important. And then the final third fight scene where it all comes together and the hero wins usually in this case the first scene was their initial flying tests to see how good they were at dogfighting this is the second scene where they start running the course and then the third scene is the final action scene so we get the first look at them training for their mission by running the course in their jets and Mm -hmm. i think personally this is one of the most intense moments of the film so far coyote is going up the invisible mountain hitting nine ten g's and he goes into g-lock which is when you go unconscious because all the g's you're facing in a jet they realize that coyote's not okay because obviously his plane starts dipping good thing maverick was in the air i mean obviously they wrote it this way but if maverick wasn't in the air i don't know what they would have done once maverick gets coyote to wake up using the tone these moments are insanely crazy to watch when i watched it for the first time there is a slight possibility that Coyote would crash. He's not enough of a main character for us to care if he dies, but he's not enough of a supporting character for us to not care. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. There would definitely still be some feelings if you were to leave because it's tension with each character because we care. The way that shot is framed is so well done. It's framed just under the edge of a hill and his plane dips below that hill. And that's yeah. another, that's the second moment where the music cuts out and for two seconds you don't know if you're gonna see a jet taking off into the air or an explosion yeah from watching quite a few other movies when i watched it in theaters i'm like okay he's good even before he had come up but you're still on the edge of your seat see i didn't think that like i said there is a total possibility that you would have seen an explosion and you would have lost one of your students because things like that happen in real life. Like that yeah. is what grounds this movie is that you understand the force of gravity on your body when you're going these speeds. Your body can't take it. Mm-hmm. It shuts down. You lose consciousness. And 
if he didn't pull up in time, he would have hit the ground. And at least when I see it, there is that slight possibility that he couldn't have made it. And yet he does, which is great. But it yeah. is one of the craziest moments in this movie. And just yeah. so well done. So many movies are so predictable. You know, you see the framing of a certain scene or the timing and you're like, oh, the character's coming back in frame. Or, oh, that person's going to die. Or something like that. Yeah. This one, I think, kept me personally in suspense for those couple seconds where you don't know what could happen to him. Yeah. Now, I saw the guy coming over the hill. I expected that two seconds of silence and then you would see the plane rise. But right after that scene, we get a bird strike. And that's what really threw me off. That, I think, just the double whammy of two super intense things happening right away, especially when it happened to char characters that you were, like, a little bit more involved with, which was Bob, love that guy, <laughs> and Phoenix. They get the bird strike, and you're like, come on, come on, survive, man. Yeah, this and fake air, because there's they just got out of an intense situation with Coyote going into a G-lock, and then you're like, oh, no, it's not over, and uh, so good. Yeah, the fake-out is so frustrating in a good way. Like, you're lulled yes. into this sense of peace that you know Coyote's safe, but then immediately after, disaster strikes. Or I yes. should, more accurately, bird strikes. Same thing. It's something this movie does really well, especially in the final battle, which I'll talk about in a second. Fake-outs. I'll get to that when we talk about it in the final battle here in a bit. Also, the explosions in this movie, fantastic. I don't know if they used actual explosions or if they simulated them in 3D render engines, but... When Bobbitt and Phoenix's jet crashes, when they, spoiler alert, blow up the uranium facility, when the entire Earth implodes on itself, crazy explosion. I love those. Gotta be, that. I think that one's gotta be CGI. It probably was, but it was so well done, and especially if you can feel the sound. So I watched it in Dolby for the first time, and just the thunderous booming of the explosions was crazy cool. Oh, love it. Also, on that note, when I was watching it in Dolby for the first time, you could feel the sound of the jets roaring. The explosions, the jets, just everything. You could feel the sound. Amazing. Surround sound kind of makes up for it, but there's nothing like feeling the sound in your seat. After we figure out that Bob, Phoenix, Coyote, they're all safe, we have this one-on-one -on -one moment with Rooster and Maverick. This is the first time they've really had privacy since the mission started. Because yeah. any other time they've either been on comms that other people can hear or they've been in the presence of others. This is the first time they've been alone. And Mav is just coming off of a talk with Ice after almost losing three of his students, has him on edge. And they're just talking. And Rooster says, you don't have any wife or kids to mourn you when you burn in. And we're focused on Maverick's face when he says this. And hearing Rooster kind of belittle him like that, you can just see the frustration, not the frustration even, the sadness in Maverick's face. Maverick realizes in this moment that Rooster does not reciprocate the father-son feelings that Mav wants them mm -hmm. to have. And you further see Rooster belittle Maverick. Towards the end of that conversation, you hear him say, my dad believed in you. And the fact that Maverick wasn't able to save Goose just further amplifies that whole thing. I think Rooster understands that just because Goose trusted Maverick doesn't mean Rooster should trust Maverick. Maybe that's a fault that Maverick had, thinking that the two are connected, but Rooster is his own person and incorrectly yeah. understands that Mav could have done something and he didn't, but still, hmm. he's upset. We get this conversation cut off with Iceman's funeral. Dude, another heartbreaking scene. Yeah. It's so sad. It's I back to back. Similar to how we had the back to back intense moments with the G Force shutdown, basically, and then the bird strike. Then we have sad feels with the conversations that just makes you feel ugh. i just want resolve mm -hmm. and then you get another one yeah. which again this movie is so good at thing up intense scenarios not just with action but with characters relationships you see that so much especially with these two scenes back to back and how maverick is having to handle iceman's death and such a shutdown from rooster I appreciate that this scene not only honors ICE with the military funeral, but also displays the proud American traditions we have for honoring our soldiers. Yes. There's nothing better than a patriotic funeral, I think. It's yes. so good. 
I love the 21 gun salute, the bugle in the background. Obviously, Iceman was a highly decorated army man, but as, as sad as they are, I love a good military funeral. Because yeah, it's my. Like a Viking funeral, in my opinion. <laughs> it is. My grandpa was in the military in World War II, and I don't really remember everything about the funeral, but I do remember the flag on his casket and giving it to my cousin, who is in the military, it was very symbolic and just means a lot more to us. Yeah. And again, Maverick stands at the end of the casket trying to hold back the tears. Mm. Bro, he's showing emotion. What is this? Is this actually Hollywood? It's so good to see Maverick trying to hold it together, showing mm-hmm. that he's a, a man who has feelings and is still trying to be the one in charge and all, but trying to There's... be the man in the moment, but also acknowledging his feelings. Even after his commanding officer tells him to take a break, he knows that he is the only one who can teach these students because no one else has the guts to show them the way it's supposed to be done. And like his officer says, you've only told them that it can't be done. You need to show them that it can be done. And yeah, he dismisses him then. But then Maverick basically goes and steals a jet to show that it can be done. No way that would pass in the real military. No. My mans would be on the side of the street begging for coins. No way. They would discharge him right there. You have to you ha- you can't just take a jet. There's not keys like a car. You can't yeah. hotwire a jet. I mean, granted he does this at the end of the movie with an F14, but there's protocol yeah. and stuff. But this scene shows that Maverick is the best of the best. You want to know what I can appreciate beyond anything else that happens in a movie? An accurate what? timer. I I timed it when I watched <laughs> it and I'm like, "Dang. It is that felt like so much longer than 2 minutes and 15 seconds, but it was. It is to the dot, two minutes and fifteen seconds. So, so well done. It, like you said, it seems way longer than it is, but because of man. how just ooh it is. Ugh. I, I can't give a word for it, but just ooh, you know, this is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> then Maverick has to pick who is going on the mission, and this is where I have a disagreement with the story. I think Rooster should have stayed, and Hangman should have gone as team leader. Ooh, interesting. Why? I I know they did it for the movie because he's Goose's son, and why would you make a movie about Maverick and not include Goose's son in the final scenes? But from a practical standpoint, if this happened, I think that Hangman is way more qualified than Rooster, even if he has an ego the size of Texas. Because he can get it done, he may not be a team player, but he gets the job done. But on the other hand, you need a team to work together but on the other other hand, he kind of learned his lesson and has been a pretty good team player. So I think I, st- I stand by what I said. I think that Maverick should have picked Hangman over Rooster in a, in the real world if that happened. I can I can definitely see it from a statistical standpoint. If it wasn't a movie, would make sense because he just seems like the better pilot. But for the movie's sake, it makes much more sense for him to go with Rooster. Although you do see enough character development i would say in hangman for it to be i would say it would be acceptable for the movie Mm -hmm. to have hangman go i definitely see what you're saying as much as i say that hangman would be better i don't think it would be acceptable for them to put hangman in place of rooster just because it is how the story is written it's dramatic because he's goose's son like all of that i get that yeah it is the better way the movie should go it shouldn't go that way if that was the case in real life now, I'm going to completely ignore the fact that this is a complete ripoff from A New Hope, the trench run. I do not care that it is identical, except in our real world. Yeah. And not on a Death Star. It is too good to be complaining about it's just the trench run on Earth. Yeah. Maybe it is, and maybe that's just why it's so good, is because Star Wars got it right and Maverick got it right. Now, what's interesting is that The Force Awakens did not get it right. Yes. I would say those are the three trans runs in Hollywood that you can talk about. And actually, Films and Stuff has a good video on it called How Top Gun Maverick Perfected Star Wars Trench Run. Both New- A New Hope and Maverick got the trench run down to a T, but yet The Force Awakens did not. Because The Force Awakens yeah. was basically a ripoff of A New Hope in the sense that they're trying to do the same thing with the same stakes. It didn't work. Top Gun Maverick, at least, has different stakes and a different story, and yet still executes it well. Go watch that video. Link is in the description. So there's two really noteworthy things about the sequence. First off, I've already mentioned this, the lack of music. There is a couple moments where there's what I call inception-level drums, 
where you just hear boom, boom. And it's usually when you see the fifth generation fighters flying. But for the most part, there is no music. There is three minutes and 30 seconds of no background music, just diegetic sound. And anyone who's done a film class knows that there's diegetic sound and there's non-diegetic sound. Non-diegetic is background music, anything that only the audience is supposed to hear, like a, a voiceover. Diegetic sound is what the characters would have heard in the movie. So for three and a half minutes, which is a long time for a movie, to do no background music, just diegetic sound. And when the music picks up again, it's when the four jets are working together, almost in a heartwarming method to to call out each other's, you know, smoke in the air, smoke in the air, and to be looking out for each other's backs. This This is the team building part that Maverick needed on that beach for them to have each other's backs in the air as well. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, this sequence is not timed perfectly. I think that's simply because they needed it to be a little bit more dramatic. We wanted to kind of focus on Rooster getting the courage to actually go. We needed to cut back to the officers in the base who were giving orders and all that, reacting to what was happening. I think we can be a little bit forgiving for this one. It still makes it feel way longer than it is. Yeah. Now, in the previous one where we had it come out to exactly two minutes and 15 seconds which was good setting that expectation of it being the same amount of time to anyone who pulled their phones out in the middle of a movie theater which by the way don't do that it's rude but making it longer i actually like because you're constantly thinking how much time do we got how much time do we got because those fighter jets are on the way and this is just another of the many 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 examples on how this movie is just so good at building suspense now the fun part is at the end technically when the mission is complete they have succeeded in their mission they've blown up the uranium facility but now they're in a dogfight and this is where the biggest act of sacrificial love shows itself maverick's almost final act towards rooster is when he takes the missile for him when he pulls the cobra maneuver shoots his flares but still gets hit by the missile and he goes down this is why we love movies this is why christians should love movies and this is how christians can lead into a conversation about the gospel this sacrifice stirs something within us that we can relate to as we think about the ultimate sacrifice that jesus did for us maverick was willing to sacrifice his jet himself for rooster in an act of love if this was the last thing maverick was able to do for rooster it would be so good. And yet, mm-hmm. if that were the end of the movie, that could have worked, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That would have been a really good way to end, even though it would be a very sad ending. But I'm glad that he survived, even though we have those few minutes of wondering if he did or not. Now, it's interesting for you to bring up that it would have been okay if Maverick had died. Now, I am not for killing people in movies because it makes a movie better because there's more emotion in it because it makes you sad but i do think that this is one of the scenarios where i'm like "Mm, i do think i would have critically liked the movie much more if maverick had died but top gun mavericks got a maverick like that's his name it's the title there's like 20 minutes left in the movie you're not gonna kill maverick now yeah um but this is my this is my second point fake outs all the freaking fake outs dude Maverick gets shot down but survives. Rooster saves him but also gets shot down. Maverick and Rooster find the F-14 and fly it out of there but to be only to be stopped by 5th Gen fighters. And after fighting and defeating them, there's another fighter flying at them. And that's when Hangman comes to save the day. Like, dude, the amount of fakeouts is so much. Any of those points, you could have ended the movie. But it kept going. I don't mind it. I just think it's hilarious that they couldn't just write one of those to finish the movie. Everyone had to survive. Now, you weren't with me while you were watching it in theaters. But if you were, dude, I was literally on the edge of my seat, jaw hanging open in all of the spence because of the amount of fakeouts there are. Until I saw Maverick and Rooster talking in the forest after Rooster had just exploded the helicopter. Now they're both on the ground. I didn't sit back and probably take a breath until that moment happened. It's my favorite part of the movie. I think it's a little bit out there that they ran to the base, found an F-14, and took off. That's one of those situations where it's not practical that it happened in real life, but it's movie magic. Not even movie magic. It's just something that happened. It's a little bit of fan service. At least it's not direct fan service that is right in your face like some movies. It's possible. When they're fighting the fifth gen fighters in the F-14, though, the one, one of the jets, one of the enemy jets, does that twist move to avoid the missile. That's a real move. 
that has been tested by certain jets and i'll link a video down below it's crazy like i watch that and i think what would wilbur and orville wright say jets and planes are supposed to create lift with their wings and all of that and suddenly you have just a plane of metal twisting through the air like that that shouldn't be possible it shouldn't but it's actually it's that so that is cool. one thing that is inspired by real life it's actually being built as a maneuver for fighter jets it's really cool that's that's nuts i didn't know that i, I gotta see this i gotta see this guys i'm sending josh the video right now because he has not seen it and we're gonna get his I'm live not. reaction to it so apparently the movie version is an su-57 and that was cgi and the real one is an su-35 just go watch the video really quick josh is gonna watch it here that's sick oh my <laughs> word now obviously it looked like the uh video was a little sped up like for for the movie the move was sped up a little bit yeah it definitely looks a little bit sped up because in real life it's just not that fast but still that's nuts something i noticed is just a good attention to detail in the movie when fifth gen fighter does the flip and the missile sails past him you can see the nose of the jet cut through the smoke of the missile it's just a good attention to yes. detail. Anyways, yeah. back to the topic at hand. Hangman comes in, saves the day, and we end up back on the jet. They make it kind of a crash landing after Maverick buzzes the tower. Again, good callback. Shows that yep. both he's learned, but also he hasn't changed. There's that dynamic. Everyone's celebrating on the deck. I don't know if this actually happens on a crew, on a carrier, but it'd be sick if it does. <laughs> yeah. I think Maverick's hug to Rooster is the sweetest dad hug ever. Maverick yes. is proud of his boy for completing this mission and their relationship has mended. And then even in the next scene, they're in the hangar fixing the plane, somehow tightening that same bolt that he was tightening at the beginning of the movie. I guess that one always comes loose or something. They've mended their relationship. There's no more animosity. Rooster appreciates what Maverick has done for him, especially after that sacrifice of putting his jet in front of the missile instead of Rooster's. So good. Very so good. good. Didn't cry, but... When I watched it in theaters, I was definitely next to a crybaby who was tearing up a lot. Won't say any names because they might be on this podcast eventually. <laughs> I don't want them to throw a microphone at me or something. Well, Top Gun Maverick is one of my favorite movies, at least of this year. I choose to look over the flaws because at the end of the day, you're there to see some jets go zoom zoom and some things to go boom boom. <laughs> Art bars but also as i've said this is really a movie about fatherhood mentorship and i think it portrays it really well having maverick try and mend this relationship with rooster and rooster finally allowing maverick into his life as that father figure well that's gonna wrap it up for our episode this week on top gun maverick thank you guys so much for listening we really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to each week last week went off with a bang our release date was so fun to watch the numbers go up seeing all you guys hearing from you i love that you guys enjoy the podcast so much please share this with your friends we want as many people to hear about it as possible and uh if you don't have friends you can make some on the discord server <laughs> easy plug-in <laughs> Yeah, join the Discord server. It's a lot of fun on there. We're going to start some community discussions on further conversation we can have about these movies. Follow us on Instagram. Post when our episodes go live. And also, we got some great memes over there. We just got a great community you can get connected to in many different ways. Again, you can listen on any platform you find your podcast. With that said, love you guys. Have a great day. Peace. Bye, guys.